Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So let me just say this off the top here for a moment. There was something yesterday that kind of got a lot of attention. I think in some respects it made some Georgia fans mad. I, I get why it did. But off the top of the program, I feel the need to say this. I'm just not mad about this. I, like, this is the kind of thing that happens a lot. And, like, I don't get that worked up about what I'm about to share with you. But I do think what I'm about to share with you does lead us into a pretty interesting conversation. You may have read the story at dognation.com with John Mechie, former Alabama wide receiver at in NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis. Mechie talked about how he thinks the game would have been different against Georgia for the national championship had he not been hurt. Jamison Williams, his comments got even more attention than that. I think we have this on the screen we can show to you. Uh, He says, uh, I felt like we would have won the game if I had not gotten injured. Just things happen, you know. Uh, And listen, I don't necessarily agree with uh, with Williams on that. While he was playing in this game, I was not under the impression that Alabama was on its way to to, to coasting to an easy victory or anything like that. That was a hard-fought game with both teams when Williams was playing. It remained true after Williams came out of the game. But there is an element of whether Mechie says, hey, the game would have been different, or if Jamison Williams, who says, hey, if I was playing, we would have won the game. There's an element of which – what do you expect players to say? I mean, of course, players are going to kind of say these types of things. They believe in their own abilities or you know, they're not certainly not going to say, no, I don't think we'd have had any chance to win the game, whether I'd played or not. That's just not really the way that players talk. So in one respect, I don't really get that worked up about Mechie saying what he may have said. You can read that at dognation.com or James Williams saying what he said. And that's kind of been kind of all over the place. However, I do think it opens up a very interesting conversation. And there is a difference between Alabama and Georgia right now. And that distinction does make a big difference. It does matter here because one way or another, the Williams and the Mechie absence from a lot, especially the late stages of the national championship game uh, for Jamison, and then obviously uh, Mechie did not play at all. The talk of, well, Alabama lost because these two guys didn't play. Like, that is part of the story here. And I got every, I'm, I'm very willing to say, yeah, Alabama was hurt by not having John Mechie, was hurt by not having Jamison Williams. But there are things that you do as a program to mitigate against the possibility of that. And I'm not quite so sure that Alabama did enough over the course of the season to mitigate against the possibility that what happens if one of our top two guys goes down? What do we have going on then? Like one of the things you hear me say a lot is, is there is no free lunch in college football. There is no there is no scenario where you get all of the good that goes along with something, but you don't have to get any of the bad that goes along with that. And one of the things that we say that we've noticed here lately is is that Alabama while still being a very elite team is certainly more of a fragile version of itself than it used to be. That by comparison Georgia's just a lot more anti-fragile. It's just a lot more difficult to do any one thing that upends UGA. Georgia in 2021 had a lot of very valuable players, offensive, defensive, household names, key contributors to victory. And while, listen, you would never, you know, uh, you know, you would never want anybody to get hurt. But if any of those big guys had gotten hurt, I don't know that there's one individual injury that would have been a death knell to Georgia's championship chances because the program 
was just a lot more anti-fragile, I would say, than what Alabama has become. Alabama has put a lot of its eggs in the basket of quarterback and wide receiver, and that's all great when those guys are healthy and playing well. But quarterback and wide receiver are smaller players. I don't mean this flippantly. I mean this specifically and, and literally. Quarterback and wide receivers, in comparison to the other guys on a football field, they are smaller. They are more frail. They are more prone to injury than the bigger guys. That's just kind of the way that it goes. And Alabama has put so much of its championship uh, hopes on the infrastructure of a couple of guys and in a sport where injuries are bound to happen, you are putting your entire – championship fate at the risk of one or two guys getting hurt there are some inherent risks associated with that so yeah Jamison Williams not playing the national championship game for Alabama was a big deal for John Mechie not playing the national championship game for Alabama was a big deal but we would say shame on the Crimson Tide for putting so much of their hopes into just that small basket alone a handful in this case two wide receivers in fact the, the the attention that the Jamison injury and the Mechie injury have continued to get, including the NFL scouting combine yesterday, and actually brings to mind something we really haven't talked about on the show too much because I was gone on, on, on vacation and everything else, but Nick Saban's kind of also had this on his mind as well. Let's go back to like a coaching clinic thing that he was doing. Many of you have seen this uh, online. I think Michael even wrote about that. Michael Carvel, our producer, even wrote about this for DogNation.com. Saban and what he thought was trying to make a point to these coaches at this clinic about how you know here's a here's a message you can go take back to your teammates but in a lot of ways almost came across as a little bit of excuse making for why Alabama didn't win the national championship once again I'm not really mad about this but I do think if you're looking for a reason why Georgia finally got over the hump and beat Alabama some of the things that Nick Saban says in this kind of whiny rant some of the things that he says I think actually highlight that in, in, in a pretty interesting way so we're talking about contrast between Georgia and Alabama the words of Nick Saban here on the heels of Jamison and Mechie also talking about their own injuries boy it helps draw that contrast take a listen to this all right, we lost the national championship game all right, because basically, you know, we had three corners out, both starters and the best backup. All right, so we're playing with some guys that didn't have a lot of experience, and it eventually got us in the fourth quarter. All right, and we had the kind of team where we had a really good quarterback, and we wanted to have skilled guys that they couldn't guard. So we had two that were really, really good, Mechie and Jamo, and they both got hurt. So now we were playing with guys that typically didn't have to play at those positions. So the lesson to be learned was there were three guys, and I'm not calling out any names, I, that basically didn't do the things they needed to do throughout the season I, because they were frustrated with their circumstance. And this is a story that you should take back to your team so players understand this. So they're frustrated with their circumstance because they're not playing as much as they want to. They're outcome-oriented. They want to worry about how many balls they catch or how much playing time they get or whatever it is. So they don't focus every day on being a complete player at their position, and they don't work and practice and prepare for the games because they say to themselves, why should I do this? I'm not going to play anyway. So we had three guys. They all had a significant role in the national championship game, and not one of them, not one, could take advantage of the opportunity that they had. Because they never ground through it. They never made themselves the best player they can be. And when they got the opportunity, they couldn't do it. It's a lesson for everybody. What comes first? Playing time? Or making sure that you're ready 
to play and create value for yourself when you get the opportunity. So listen to this here for a moment. This is not Georgia fan hosting Georgia show talking trash about the team that Georgia beat for the national championship. This is just a fact when it comes to the game of football. If you are giving all of the attention in a position group to two guys, Jamison Williams and John Mechie, if you're giving them all the playing time and conversely then all the stats and going around bragging about the fact that you've got 2,000-yard receivers, it is just a natural fact, human nature, that the other players in that position group are not going to be happy about that. That's just real. That's just what life is. And as I said a moment ago, there is no free lunch when it comes to the way in which you choose to build a football team. And you can go around and saying, look at the production that we have with these two guys, Jamison and, and, and Mechie. But the very real and fair question to ask is, what happens if one of those two guys got hurt? Is the rest of your position group totally checked out because they weren't playing, they weren't getting any attention, whatever else, and Nick Saban can kind of whine and complain about that? But there is a way to build your team so that doesn't happen. And if you want to know just how deeply entrenched all of this is, let me give you another Saban clip here for a moment. Because on the one hand, he goes around you know, bragging about, look at Jamison Williams, look at John Mechie. He's using this as a recruiting tactic. We know that he is because of what he said publicly when Jermaine Burton transferred to Alabama. That on the one hand, Nick Saban cannot wait to tell you just how much attention, how many stats, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's cultivating that kind of superstar mentality among wide receivers. He's cultivating that as an attraction for his program. And as I said before, if you don't believe me, listen to what he said when they acquired Jermaine Burton as a transfer from Georgia. This from a couple of weeks ago. You know, Jermaine Burton was somebody that we recruited out of high school that we thought was a really, really good player. Um, he had a fairly productive, you know, year at, at Georgia. Um, they have a lot of good players at his position. And, um, you know, he had some production this year, um, but, you know, probably might have seen a better opportunity because we're a little bit more wide open and throw the ball more with a good quarterback. Uh, that may have been his intention, but, you know, we feel like, you know, we lost, you know, both starting receivers and Slade, um, you know, two to the draft and, and Slade. So, um, you know, to get a more experienced player that has some playing time in this league uh, probably is a good thing uh, for us. And we like his ability and, you know, hopefully he'll, I'll be able to be very productive for us. So clearly the message that Saban was using to draw the attention of Jermaine Burton is, hey, come here, be a thousand yard receiver. Come here, get a lot of attention. Come here and get a lot of individual glory. This is the thing right now that Nick Saban is using to sell his program. But that kind of individual glory, that kind of prolific stat line is only going to be available for a couple of guys. And the other guys in the program are going to become disgruntled about that. That is just human nature. That ain't UGA fan talking trash to Bama fan. That ain't, you know, UGA guy, you know, saying, look how dumb Nick Saban is. This is not just a Saban thing. This is a thing across college football that if you choose to cultivate a couple of superstars, they are at risk of getting injured, and the other players in your program are to a degree going to check out. That's just how it goes. By comparison, Georgia has built its program an entirely different way. Georgia at the wide receiver position has been a little bit more team oriented. Now, there is a negative consequence to that. 
Nobody at Georgia gets anywhere near the individual glory that Jameis Williams and John Mechie got, or Jerry Judy may have gotten, or you know uh, Henry Ruggs may have gotten. That totally fair to say this. That there's also a negative trade off for what Georgia does. A lot of guys play a lot of snaps. There's a lot of rotation, and nobody's getting a thousand yards. Brock Bowers, the tight end, came close because of how good he is. But the receiver position, nobody's coming close to getting a thousand yards. However, I would say on average, the general player may be just a little bit happier. And we know this, the general player may be a little bit more plugged in to what's going on. And the kinds of players who seem to gravitate towards Georgia and kind of thrive at Georgia are the kind of guys who are okay not being as big a superstar as they could be, but being on a team that is as good as it possibly can be. And I'll give you the perfect example of this. Look at George Pickens for a moment. George Pickens is a former five-star. George Pickens is as elite a player as exists in any recruiting class. If you want to go back to the class of 2019 when he came to Georgia. George Pickens is also a highlight film waiting to happen in each and every game. This is the kind of guy that if there ever was going to be someone who gravitates towards, hey, I want to be a superstar and I want to be treated like a superstar. George Pickens, based on his athletic credentials, would have every right to be that kind of guy. But if you want to look at the contrast that exists between Georgia and Alabama, why UGA is national champion, why Alabama is national running up, runner up and whining about why they didn't win the game. If you want to see the contrast, once again, the words from George Pickens yesterday at the NFL scouting combine, perfect example of this. All of this was from the end of our show yesterday. Uh, on our R.S. Andrews cooldown when Mike Griffith shared the uh, Pickens press conference with us live on air. But first of all, on, on the notion of the thing that sometimes Georgia wide receivers get mocked for, uh, come to UGA if you want to block. George Pickens told the uh, reporters yesterday and presumably the NFL scouts who may be listening in, I got no problem with blocking. Let everybody else chase the glory. We're going to chase championships. I'm going to be okay with being a blocker because in the NFL, you better believe, you're going to be blocking there some too. Very different attitude amongst Georgia wide receivers than maybe amongst Alabama wide receivers. The Pickens words serve as an example of that. This is from yesterday. What's your approach to your mindset when it comes to blocking? How much do you plan at Georgia? You're a run-heavy team. Yeah, uh, we got some good backs on our team too. Uh, James Cooks, Jameer White, Kenny McIntosh. And me just blocking was always been a part of the program and part of the scheme of the team. So, uh, and I've always been physical. So, like, that's just one of the things that I can also add to my game besides pass catching and besides going deep. So, blocking is for sure one of the things I, I pride myself on. What do you want more of? Former five-star receiver who says, I pride myself in being a good blocker or former very high four or five-star receiver at Alabama who's pouting because he's not a thousand-yard receiver because that's what Nick Saban told him he could come to Alabama and do. These contrasts are real right now, and the distinction does make a difference. And there is a team attitude at Georgia amongst that position that 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 I do think contributed to UGA success this year, and I do think that the very small number of accolades and glory that were given to a very small number of Alabama players did make that program more fragile as far as the whole idea of the kind of team mentality that 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 Georgia seemed to have and Pickens seemed to embody yesterday more comments from him proved just that this is George again prepare people for the NFL including myself uh really the routine that we we do at Georgia uh practices very similar. We got an NFL type practice. We got NFL type players. Half of the players on my team are here. So like it's almost like you in the league already. Don't you love that? 
it's almost like we're in the league already because if you look around, half my teammates are already here. I'm basically going through an NFL practice every single day with NFL-style players. Nobody's getting as much glory as they could be getting somewhere else, but we're all getting ready for the NFL, and we're all working towards building for a national championship as we're doing that. So here's the bottom line on all of this, and then we'll move on and talk about something different. That you, you get the kinds of players you seek. And Alabama is seeking out guys who want to be superstars. And that seemed like a really easy recruiting method. Clearly, that's what Alabama used to try to get Jermaine Burton to transfer. Nick Saban said so himself. And it seems to work with a guy like Jameis Williams transferring in from Ohio State. And that's pretty clearly a pretty easy message. Hey, come here, be a superstar. We have 1,000-yard receivers. But when you're not one of those guys who is one of those 1,000-yard receivers, you probably are going to spend a good bit of the year pouting because Nick Saban told me I'd be a 1,000-yard receiver, and now I'm not. And then when called upon to get in to, to, to a play because the other guy got injured, because receivers often do, all of a sudden you're not going to be as ready to play as you would be because you haven't been playing all year long. That 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 is the trade-off for creating the kind of – mentality that Nick Saban seems to be seeking amongst his roster right now if you go around talking about individual glory and things like that you will attract show ponies to your program but if you go along the method that Georgia seems to be going after which is come here and work hard come here and get better come here and get tougher you're not attracting show ponies quite so much it's workhorses that you'll attract to your program and to me in college football that's still the more likely recipe for winning it's only worked for georgia this past year and we'll see what happens if these two teams rematch again at some point in time in 2022 my name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're presented today by meriwether and tharp and we are glad to be with you no matter how you get here live on video 10 a.m facebook youtube twitter twitch radio noon at the sports radio 963f a podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com just really happy to have you with us here today and a big thanks to our friends at meriwether and tharp for making it all possible because as much fun as it is talking college football with you each and every day one of the things that's not so much fun is the divorce conversation. But for many of the folks in our audience right now, that is a conversation they're also forced to have each and every day, whether they want to or not, because they know maybe they've put it off. Maybe they've tried to pretend it wasn't real. But there are certain moments in life where certain circumstances become so top of mind, so in your face that you can't ignore them anymore. And for many of you in these early stages of 2022, you find yourself in that situation where you are now forced to confront the idea that you are a part of a marriage that's maybe come to an end and i am am sorry for you on that but here's what i can tell you is that when you make the decision to hire meriwether and tharp when you make the decision to to put them to work for you you're going to have a strong tireless advocate on your side that's going to spend a lot of time explaining the law to you but also kind of fighting for you in the court process and 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 really doing whatever the job requires now you may say well ba maybe i am considering divorce but i'm not ready to hire anybody just yet totally understand that Here's a simple first step you can take. Just go online. The website's theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Engage with some of the free resources, blog posts, podcasts. You know, learn what they have to teach you before you even make that initial phone call or make that initial conversation. And then after that, I think you'll be more equipped with better information to ask better questions and have a free initial consultation with one of their attorneys tell them your story and then after that just hear what they have to say and decide on the basis of what they have to say if the next step is the right one for you i promise you it can be a it can be um the kind of 
situation that fills you with more confidence or, or certainly arms you with more information. You will feel better after you do this, whether you move on with the divorce process or not. Just starting the conversation with Meriwether and Tharp will certainly equip you with a lot of what you need to know. So make sure you check them out online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we're going to get Terrence Edwards coming up here very quickly. Let me just do a brief version of Around the Doghouse before we get there, because I told you before, I thought that George Pickens had an extraordinary press conference yesterday. We're rooting hard for him in Indianapolis this week. He wants to run a good 40 time. He believes he can be a first round draft pick if he does and when he does. And we have certainly no reason to argue with that. We'll talk to Terrence more in a moment about what he thinks the outlook is for Pickens here at the scouting combine. So we're uh, we're certainly looking forward to all of that. But Pickens also had some more nice things to say about UGA yesterday, too. In particular, Mike Griffith, our guy from Dog Nation, asking George a question specifically about how he felt the Todd Munkin offense prepared him for the NFL draft there as well. Also, in light of the other things we heard from Pickens a moment ago, this also really good there as well. Take a listen to this. George, how does Georgia prepare a receiver for the NFL? What are the benefits of playing in Todd Munkin's system? Uh, the biggest benefit is a pro style offense. Yeah, we go into the pros, so like uh, that really helps a lot. Uh, he was formerly with the Browns, Baker Mayfield, Odell that that year right there, uh, and that's the offense we ran. We ran the same exact offense, so the biggest benefit is just being in a pro style offense. I take what George says there seriously, and you know we'll never pretend that Georgia is as prolific as the most prolific offenses have been over the course of the last few years. Certainly, you know Alabama, Ohio State teams like that, Oklahoma probably too. Back to the Lincoln Riley era, have a longer track record of more consistent, excellent performance on offense. However, I do believe that last year, you know, in the second year of Todd Monk, and even though George was injured and not able to play, you know, for most of last season. I, I do think the Georgia offense took a big step forward. And I do think the presence of the Munkin scheme and the way in which Todd Munkin is deploying his weapons here for Georgia, I, I do think that's created a scenario now where I don't believe that the offense that the players are playing in in Georgia is a negative for them when they move on to the NFL draft, nor should it be a negative for players who are considering coming to UGA for their college careers. The Georgia offense works now. A couple of years ago, I don't think it did. In 2019, this was a pretty wretched offense, and I don't mind telling you that. I'm a big UGA fan, but not everything that Georgia does is perfect, and in 2019, this team was a pretty scuffling offense. Look at the stats. It's no longer true anymore. Georgia's really performing very well, and George Pickens says playing for Todd Munkin gets me ready for the NFL. I think the NFL draft scouts will kind of view it the same way. I think future recruits should take notice of that too. So good stuff from George Pickens. Obviously, we'll hear from a lot more Georgia guys here over the course of the next couple of days, but uh, really good stuff all the way around. All right, with that in mind, let's now turn our attention to what another great former Georgia wide receiver thinks about Pickens' draft chances and everything else that's kind of gone on the last couple of days. He's also sporting a brand new job, and we'll celebrate that with him a little bit there, too. It is Terrence Edwards here today as part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Great to get some insight from him, and great to have all of you with us as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So let me say hello to Terrence Edwards. Welcome him back to the program. He was good enough to pre-record a vacation show for us last week, and now we get a chance to speak live for the first time here in a little while. And some things have changed with Terrence since we last spoke. Terrence has got a big new job now, uh, passing game coordinator, working with wide receivers there at Milton High School, one of the real powerhouse programs in the Atlanta area. Terrence, congratulations on that. I've seen that Milton roster. You've got some good receivers to work with here for this upcoming year, and I know they'll be glad to have your expertise as part of their staff. So congratulations on the new gig. Oh, thank you very much. It was uh, really it was a tough decision yeah. to leave Pace. I've been for six years, and 
But, you know, as a coach, you always want to grow and, and find growth in what you do. And Milton gives me the opportunity to uh, to grow as a football coach, and, I'm, and I welcome that opportunity. So we know your work in kind of coaching up receivers, and we know how important that is to you. But in kind of that, you know, sort of passing game coordinator type role, having an influence on the way in which the, the game plan is called and executed, things like that. How much uh, of that part of the game do you enjoy doing? Oh, I love it. I love going out and, and watching film because I was a student of the game myself yeah. and understood uh, what defenses were trying to do now. Just being able to teach that to young athletes is, is what drives me right now. And being able to put together a plan uh, for the OC uh, to be successful, for him to be successful, that means the kid's going to be successful. That's so right. that's what drives me right now, that being able to uh, and uh, help these young kids become whatever they want to be in life. So we had a chance yesterday to hear from George Pickens at the NFL Scouting Combine. He's obviously going to do you know a lot of the drills here over the course of you know the next little bit. And Terrence, I, I was just so impressed with everything you had to say. I'm not sure how much of the press conference you got a chance to see, but you know, we didn't hear from George a lot while he was a player at UGA. But man, I thought he had such a passionate you know defense of himself. Not he doesn't need defending, but a passionate I guess argument for himself as an NFL prospect here, and clearly a guy whose love for the game comes really just sort of screaming through in the press conference yesterday I just thought it was good he's a guy we've rooted for for a long time and I know as a former wide receiver yourself you'll be watching with very keen interest to see uh just how much George does impress these scouts with the combine showing he's healthy again getting that 40 time that he wants to get he also says he wants to be a first round draft pick thinks that he can be and so I know you'll be rooting for him just as hard as we are right now right most definitely. You know, if, uh, I've got to know George over the years, and George is a, a really good dude at the end of the day. Yes, he made some uh, immature uh, acts as a as a young player, and he still continues to grow as a young man, still a young man in age. Uh, but I was very impressed with what he had to say as well. I didn't listen to the to the whole press conference, but I've heard bits and pieces on, on social media. Uh, I was thinking about George this morning, watching some of his clips of Whoever drafts George, and if that's the first round, second round, third round, you're going to get a heck of a football player. And when I say – you see I didn't say wide receiver. I right. said football player because he loves football. And when you find, have a guy that loves football and is as talented as he is, then you have a guy that, uh, that's going to give you everything that he got. One thing that you cannot accuse George Pickens of is not being a hard worker. That's no. one of the things I've heard over the years about him is how hard he works and let alone being a, as talented as he is uh he's gonna make to me he's gonna make a a, a very very good uh nfl wide receiver and i see multiple pro bowls in his future that's awesome to hear and you know it's one of those things of if you want to know what george pickens all about and i, I know you know this terrence Watch him during a game in which he knows the ball's not coming his way. Watch what he's doing away from the football at Georgia. I mean, obviously the, the the Michigan Orange Bowl game would come as an example of this. And I mean, he's just fighting and clawing. And and, and listen, sometimes it's five seconds after the whistle's blown. I'll certainly acknowledge that. But even that sort of speaks to you know his his toughness and his intensity of a, as a competitor. You watch him away from the football. He didn't slow down for five seconds. He is all about if he's on if he's between the white lines. He He's going to fight you with every fiber of his being, and I'll take 11 of those guys any day of the week. Oh, most definitely. I mean, if you watch some of his legendary blocks, it's more legendary than some of the catches besides that one catch he had in the spring yeah. game. That that was just crazy. But his blocking is, is what 
uh, kind of sets him apart, I think, from a lot of the other receivers in this draft because he, he does play with that chip. And uh, once he's, he's, he learns how to control that chip, uh, I, I just think the world of, of the young man, as, as a young man, as a talent, uh, is he a first-round receiver talent? Yes, he is. is can he be the best receiver in this, in this draft? Ball skill-wise, I think he, he is the best receiver in this draft. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the ACL injury have slowed him, but, you know, God doesn't work. Uh, it, he, he works in mysterious ways, right. and this could be a, a humbling moment for him. Like, just really sit back and, like, you know, just, just check yourself in times of I'm all alone doing my rehab. Like, so things works out. Whoever drafts this young man is going to get a, a heck of a football player, and I can't wait to um, see where he gets drafted. Yeah, well, along those lines, one of the things I also talk about today on the show a little bit is is that when you listen to George at the press conference yesterday, kind of a very team-first mindset about how hard Georgia practices were and how well those practices prepared him for the NFL and, you know, the way in which he's embraced being a good blocker. NFL wide receivers are obviously also asked to do that. He kind of embraces that and really kind of seems to sidestep some of the – you know the 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 maybe individual accolades that that could come his way and you know you hear stories about Alabama Nick Saban in his own words saying hey we had wide receivers here who were disgruntled they were they were you know mad because they weren't playing very much and then late in the season we had to call upon them they weren't ready to do that to me that that draws a pretty sharp contrast that I would say you know helps explain why Georgia did beat Alabama this past season now listen everybody wants stats and everybody wants individual accolades but the point is is when you only put a you know a couple of guys and and give them all that glory then then I I do think you create a situation in your locker room where hey there are going to be some guys who wonder where's mine you know when am I going to get mine and I think that Georgia's done a good job of I think spreading the spreading the love around a little bit more what do you think about that distinction between these two teams right now uh, I think George has been as, as talented as he is. Uh, I've never heard once come out of that, that uh, program or from all the players that I'm connected to. I've never once heard George Pickett crying or whining for the football. Uh, yes, he's talented, and any good offensive coordinator, offensive coaches has to get him a football because he's that talented. But we're not the throwing around the field Alabama where those guys are going to get 1,000 yards. And maybe you See when other people does things, he's just as excited for others as he is for himself. The way he blocks on the perimeter that lets you know he's a team first guy. Uh, so those things didn't didn't matter to him. It didn't seem like he was there to just get stats. Uh, he was there to help the team win, and it showed. It showed I me mean, for a guy he didn't have to come back and play this year. He didn't have to do that. He 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 could have entered the draft without playing, but he showed that University of Georgia meant something to him this team meant something to him so that that shows a lot about the dude's character yeah, I think it's exactly right it's, a, it's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider update with uh Terrence Edwards right now one of the things we haven't talked to you about is since the last time we spoke live Georgia's hired itself a couple of uh, assistant coaches let's talk about those here for a little bit uh Stacey Searles now back at UGA once again his offensive line coach that's a job he held here from 2007 to 2010 now he's back in the fold here what do you think of Searles return to UGA Terrence uh, one thing about me, uh, I really don't question what Coach Smart does. I think he's he's there for a reason. Uh, I don't know a lot about Coach Searles. I know he was at Georgia, but since I'm not an offensive line guy, right. like I said, I don't, I don't know his pedigree like that. I know he's been hired at a lot of places. He's worked for Nick Saban. He's worked for Coach Rick. And uh, 
if if those guys trust his ability to coach, his ability to relate to young players, his ability to, re- to recruit, uh, I think Georgia right now recruits itself. Uh, the brand that we have established, the, the brand that Coach Smart has established, now we just got to get young men to buy into his teaching, his philosophy. Um, and he's coming to a good situation. He has a lot of talented guys in that, in that offensive line room right now. So now he just has to be the coach from, to nurture uh, their talent and get those guys playing as one unit. And then Fran Brown as cornerbacks coach, that's a name that we probably know a little less about, just generally speaking, than we do Searles because, you know, Searles does have that previous track record there at Georgia. But in what you learn about him, seems like a lot of what Georgia seems to attract, which are young, up-and-coming coaches. This guy has, you know, worked with Matt Rule and obviously, you know, spent some time with Greg Schiano. Certainly, he seems to be a pretty fast riser in the coaching industry. And, you know, what we've learned about him thus far pretty quickly seems to be pretty favorable of him. Do you have an opinion on the Fran Brown hires cornerbacks coach? Uh, I, I don't know much about him. I'll try to do my research. One thing that I, I have found out that uh, he recruits well yeah. up in the area of the workers area. He, he, he gets a lot of the top players out of the area. And Georgia is a national brand right now. That's one thing about what Coach Smart has done. He's going, doesn't matter what area, what territory, He's going out finding the best players. And if there's a player up up north in the New Jersey, New York area, uh, I think this is a way to tap into that market. I think that's probably one of the reasons he's probably hired because I think there's a, a, a five-star, four-star safety up in that area that played at IMG that's going back home to Transylvania, I think. Uh, so I think he, he's a guy that's going to be able to recruit the, the Northeast. And uh, we need guys on the staff that can hit every territory in the United States, even globally. So uh, I'm going to wait and see. Uh, I've read good things about him, but I trust Coach Smart and, and staff to hire the best available coaches as possible. One more thing on this topic. You know, you're the kind of guy that coaches up guys to go out in there and <laughs> and thrash defensive backs, and certainly that's what you enjoy doing when you were playing the game. And now Georgia is going to kind of, I guess, reorganize his coaching staff a little bit in that, you know, for a while it's been like that one defensive backs coach working with cornerbacks and safeties. And now it seems like Georgia is content to split the responsibilities here because you are playing with at least five defensive backs in the field more often than not. In some cases, Georgia would like to play with six. So what do you think of as a way of combating the elite wide receivers that exist in the SEC now, putting a coach in charge of safeties, putting a coach in job of cornerbacks, basically splitting the responsibilities of what's happening with the defensive secondary. What do you think about that move right now? I think it's a great move. I think uh, you, you see that more and more. It, it's tripping down to the high school level as well that you're having uh, two secondary coaches, a corner coach and a, and, and a safety coach. And, and people don't realize that two, they play the same position, but they're very different. Your eyes and, and body language and movement, have, it's, it's a little different, so why not have a, a natural safety coach and a natural deep, uh, cornerback coach as well? So it, it's trickling down to all levels of football right now, and I think it's a smart move, especially now that for the college level, you are able to have 10 coaches on the field now. Uh, so split that room up, uh, give more attention to the safeties because their reads and eye discipline is a little different than the cornerback reads and eye discipline. So uh, I think it's a good idea, and I think every school and NFL – is going to going to have a two level coach on all positions. I think there are some inside linebacker coaches and outside linebacker coaches. So I think yeah. a lot of uh, schools are going to having two coaches per position. 
Uh, I want to ask you about this new NIL thing that's kind of popped up. Uh, before that, though, let me remind folks, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with Terrence Edwards. Of course, it's great to have a UGA insider like Terrence as part of our program. And while maybe you and I can't be that, we can be Marlowe's Tavern Insiders. And listen, there's plenty of great incentives for you by becoming a member of the Insiders Club there at uh, Marlowe's Tavern. You can get signed up. It's very easy to do. And when you do so, you can take advantage of a great offer. About $10 off, $30 just for signing up. It's almost like your own signing bonus. It's almost like your own NIL deal, if you will. A uh, great perk just for signing up. And after that, here's all you got to do. You're basically already doing this anyway. Dine at any Marlowe's Tavern. Spend $15 on food and beverage, and that'll get you a qualified visit. Then once you get four qualified visits, you'll receive a complimentary entree uh, reward up to $20 on your next visit. You can redeem that uh, at any Marlowe's uh, Tavern, even the one right there in your neighborhood. You also get cool stuff for your birthday and everything else. Plus, there's no cost to become a Marlowe's Insider. So it's really easy, really fun to do, and there's a great reward for you for doing so. So Marlowe'sTavern.com for more on that. Marlowe'sTavern.com for more on that. So we have a classic city collective now, Terrence. It is one of these NIL collectives being put together that rivals some stuff that's taking place at other SEC schools. Another one at Tennessee recently got a lot of attention, and now Georgia's got its own as well. This is all pretty new, but it seems like this is going to be a group that helps kind of you know gather some money together and and, and point in the direction of some UGA players, whether it be you know big you know brand advertisers or small scale individual donors. Uh, you know, I don't know that either one of us are experts in exactly how all this is going to function, but what do you make, Terrence, of this next step towards getting some UGA guys paid? Um, can I go back in time and, and morph <laughs> myself back into this time? <laughs> you know, that's what I think of it. I hear I, it. Man, I, don't need to, I was born in, in the wrong era. <laughs> man, I mean, I love it. I love it. Uh, man, everyone knows how I feel about you know, I think it's a good thing. I think there, you know, there are some rules that need to be in place. I think that need to be a governing body. Uh, but I also am um, for players uh, being able to capitalize off their name, image, and likeness. And I think what people really don't understand of when we signed that level of intent, that was it's a bargain system. Uh, I come play football and you give me an opportunity to go to school. But that also took my name, likeness, and image. University of Georgia owned that. I could not make any money off what was God given to me by my parents. It's my name, my likeness, and image. Now I'm glad that players have been able to capitalize off what's rightfully there. And uh, I, I love it, but again, I played in the wrong era and I wish I could get some some back pay for the time that I, I spent between the hedges. <laughs> Listen, I hear you, man. We do owe you some back payments and all that, Terrence. The <laughs> thousand yard receiver season would probably pay pretty well these days, I'm thinking. Oh, most definitely. I, I think <laughs> I still should get paid. I'm still the only one, so something needs to come back to me for still being the only one in the last 20 20- I like that for sure. Well, Terrence, it's always great to have you as part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Also, you're doing great work, as we said before, uh, you know, coaching on the Milton staff, but also coaching up those individual receivers there as well, continuing to do that. Remind folks how they can get in touch with Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Now, I, I'm transitioning to the North Fulton area now okay. since I am on the staff at Milton. So anyone in the uh, Alpharetta, uh, Forsyth, Roswell area, I will be coming to that area on Wednesdays and Sundays to bring Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. 
Great stuff, Terrence. Thanks so much. Hit him up on social media. You can find out more about that. And we will look forward to seeing you next week at the same time for our Marlowe's Tavern Insider update. Terrence, thanks for it. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Told you this before. I love when I get to be a newsman. And like to me, like the like the most news anchor thing in the world is to say, we have an update on a story we've been covering for you, and I think we do actually have an update. So we started the show with the Jamison Williams thing about how Williams said that um, he thinks he had not been hurt. Alabama would have won the football game. I told you before, like I know this kind of aggravates some UJ fans, and I understand why it does. Like I really try not to get bothered by you know small things because honestly. A, you never really quite know how the que- like we've heard the quote a million times. We don't really heard the question that the quote was, uh, you know, in response to. And sometimes these questions have way of being a little bit leading, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, like William says, if I had been injured, I think I had not been injured. I don't think we would have lost the game, which I don't necessarily believe that's true. But I also wouldn't expect James Williams to say anything about himself other than that. Yeah, there's the quote again. I felt like we would have won the game. Just things happen, you know. That's in reference to the injury that that took place. Like, what's he supposed to say? But that is what he said. And it's gotten a lot of attention. Uh, We now have a response from one of the leaders of Georgia's 2021 National Championship, Jamari Salyer. And as you would expect, Salyer, who's kind of a buttoned-up professional guy, gives you a pretty buttoned-up professional answer. I believe we can even show this to you on the screen. This coming from Mike Rodak. Is this AL.com? Yeah, AL.com, Mike Rodak. By the way, AL.com is getting all kinds of mileage out of this, so uh, good for them, I guess. But uh, Georgia offensive lineman Jamari Salyer on Jamison Williams saying Alabama would have won the college football playoff if he didn't get hurt. Jamari says, game's over, we scored more points. Like, what else do you have to say other than that? Like, the game is over, we scored more points. I'm So so good for Jamari doing that. Here's one more. Salyer on the SEC championship lost Alabama. We had a lot of wasted plays. It wasn't if they just whooped us uh salyer said kirby smart addressed conditioning with his team after that game so a little bit of insight there maybe on the loss to alabama in the sec championship but the happy ending of the success story of winning the national championship was all said and done so good for jamari salyer laying down the law and as i said before just giving jamari is kind of like the I don't know. He's a little bit of a bouncer for that Georgia program anyway. Uh, You know, the fact that he's going to kind of say it in a matter of fact sense, probably not a huge surprise there. So very interesting uh, response from Jamari to the Jameis Williams thing. And I guess congratulations to uh, AL.com for continuing to get a little bit of mileage out of the whole deal there in Indianapolis this weekend. (laughs) Not that we're above that on talknation.com either, to be fair. But uh, before you kind of move on, let me also remind you, we're getting ready to cruise around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. And I I tell you, uh, I'm pretty tan. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I'm pretty tan right now. And my hope is, especially it's like 80, you know, in Atlanta today, uh, get a chance to probably be outside a little bit today. Um, can I keep my tan going until April 25th? When we get back on board the Royal Caribbean cruise ship once again. Boy, I'm hoping so. Because by, by that point in time, it's basically summer when you get back. And so uh, before you know it, it's fall again, you're playing football again. So it's actually it actually works out really well. Just back from a Royal Caribbean cruise, had a great time on that. I can give you a first-person perspective account that it was a blast. And it only gets me that much more excited to be with all of you on the Independence of the Seas coming up here in April. Now, you got to do this quick because time's running out and, you know, space on board 
is running out there as well. So go to dognation.com, find the link, get inside there. We're going to be on Indy, Independence of the Seas. We're going to have a great time hanging out, enjoying uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of cocktails and some great food and the beautiful beaches and all the uh, great ports. We're going to Nassau in the Bahamas. There's so much to do in Nassau. Perfect day, Coco Cay literally might be my favorite place on the planet however you know you know whatever the square you know mileage is or, or footage is on that island i don't know if there's a better place in the world than perfect day coco Cay. whether it's the thrill side we got the water park like this is an amazing water park to think this, this is right in the middle of the bahamas this amazing and when you sail in see this is one of the things that you, if you've never been on a cruise before you don't quite realize this but the most fun thing for me whatever reason is sailing into the port it starts off as like some small dot in the distance and then as it gets closer it obviously starts getting bigger and more lifelike and a perfect day coco Cay, you've got like it's the tallest water slide in north america so i mean as, as you're getting there you see this water park getting taller and taller and taller and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, it's really, really a fun thing to kind of see out your window as you kind of look out there and, and see all that. So experience that with us firsthand and go have a, a great day there. I'm probably a little bit more of a chill side guy. I like the cabanas. I like to just get a mat and put it out there in the ocean uh, and just kind of enjoy that. Uh, just, you know, obviously great food on the island. Just so many fun things to do. So I want you to be a part of it. It's uh, Dog Nation Cruise coming up. A little bit of space left. Go to dognation.com for more on that. And with that, I've completely run out of music for my uh, SEC through here. Cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So let me just do a, a few stories here very quickly. Uh, this is serious. Demon Demis, uh, five-star wide receiver signing at Texas A&M facing criminal charges. Allegation of, I guess what we'll call uh, uh, family violence or domestic uh, abuse. Houston Chronicle, the first to report on all of this. But the allegation here is is that he pushed his girlfriend's head into a wall. And, you know, I think one of the things that kind of I mean, obviously, this is a terrible situation. And, you know, it puts Demas in a very, you know, troubling situation. Right? You got to learn. You got to learn more about this. And also kind of puts a little bit of a spotlight on the Aggies program, how they're handling all of this. He is suspended right now. There have been some allegations, I guess, that, uh, you know, folks connected to the uh to the victim here tried to reach out of the a&m program and we don't quite know how all that played out i'm always very uncomfortable in you know putting the program whether it be georgia or texas a&m or anybody else into the position of having to be the full-fledged investigator and stuff, stuff like that I, you know I, I think that i mean obviously if you're the head coach of a program you do have to take all, all these allegations seriously it sounds like you know, A&M has kind of done that, but there have also been some other things said about kind of the lead up to what ultimately resulted in these charges here. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that that sometimes we ask a lot of these programs to kind of be the one to maybe investigate what's happened between, you know, in this case, a player and, and, and his girlfriend here. And that's just kind of a tough spot to be in. So this is one of those things that's going to unfold here a, a little bit more and we'll find out more about this. But but clearly a troubling allegation right now, and it is an allegation, but a troubling allegation right now against a pretty high profile member of uh, the Texas A&M signing class. Uh, so more to be seen on that. Uh, different story, uh, this time four-star safety Janelle Aguero, who's obviously going to be one of the high-profile members of the 2023 class, has put out a list of finalists, and Georgia is among that group here. We also see Alabama, Texas A&M, Miami, Florida, LSU, and Ohio State. Now, Aguero is really a safety, and obviously, you know, Georgia's always looking to add multiple defense backs, but the safety that's going to get the most attention from Georgia in this class of 2023 is going to be an in-state guy, Caleb Downs, and I've seen Downs play. I can tell you this, that he is 
one of the sensational athletes really of any signing class certainly this 2023 class going to be a big deal there on that but Aguero is a pretty big deal too and so uh one of these first big name guys kind of put out a uh, recently updated list of finalists here george is included on that so aguero is going to get some uh, attention here and dropping a top seven very heavy sec flair to all of that uh certainly adds to that i saw where you know alabama who's been pretty busy in terms of adding analysts recently adding todd grantham is now looking to add another analyst and this is one of those things where outside the state of alabama maybe this gets some talk maybe it doesn't but inside the state you better believe uh this is going to be chatted about cornelius williams who was fired during the season by uh brian harson at auburn is now going to alabama as an analyst and you remember what we played you know smarty at the time former uh, auburn offensive coordinator who just ripped into uh, uh, harson on this and this was really controversial and it was probably the first sign that things weren't quite right with harson because i'm not saying there's never a time to fire a position coach during the season but that's a really unusual thing to do and when uh when jeremy pruitt fired his defensive line coach jimmy brumbaugh during the season you know not too long ago uh going back to what i guess the 2020 season that was probably like the first real big sign of oh gosh uh boy boy pruitt's a little unstable there as tennessee coach because it's just it's just very unusual to fire a coach during the season you better have a very good reason for doing so and it better be more than just uh you know we got mad and blew up and argued with each other you better have a lot more reason than that to do that and it just kind of makes the I believe the head coach in most cases look bad and I think firing Cornelius Williams during the season for Auburn is one of those things that just made Harson seem you know a little unstable there and come to find out we found out just how true that really is so now the guy that he fired who you better believe has just got bad blood up one side down the other now going to be working not as an on-field coach but as an off-field staffer there at Alabama within the state this probably gets a lot of attention and for we talked yesterday about harson and his lack of ability at least thus far to truly connect with a lot of the high school coaches in the state you know this is one of those things that's going to kind of help i think maybe drive that rift a little bit more because my guess is privately cornelius williams probably has plenty to say about brian harson and so for now we'll make that cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean as another log thrown on the fire of the iron bowl rivalry there in the state of Alabama. Now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, let's turn our attention back to UG here for a moment. And let's talk here about the Classic City Collective. This is the new NIL collective that's been established at Georgia, and it rivals you know some of the things that exist already in the SEC. Maybe the most prominent example recently, and if you'll remember, we talked about this in the show the other day. The Athletic doing a story. That's the you know uh, sports website. The Athletic did a story on the collective that's been established in Knoxville by some Tennessee guys to help try to funnel some money in the direction of some Tennessee athletes. And this is, I guess, going to kind of be the new industry standard norm where all the big programs are going to have their own big, you know, kind of uh, vetted and and, and uh, endorsed collective. And I say endorsed here because I think the most interesting thing to come out about the Classic City Collective's announcement yesterday that they are you know have been established and you know there's an ad with a you know former tie to uga kind of running into ceo drew butler and his icon uh company they're kind of you know connected in on on this butler's been uh a, a part of some of this the, uh the dgd fund that you may have heard of the uh the the charitable out arm that some uh, uga players have started they're kind of in and tied on all this but in the release that Classic City Collective put out yesterday, there was a quote from Kirby Smart in it. So 
to me, you know, kind of behind the scenes here, what's maybe the most interesting about this is, if, is this is at least indoor. Now, Georgia can't be officially connected to the Classic City Collective. Uh, state laws and stuff won't allow that. But this is at least endorsed by Georgia enough to have a quote from Kirby in the release from the Classic City Collective. What Kirby Smart says is about the uh, new CEO, uh, Matt Hibbs, is that Matt provided uh, during the time in our program uh, how valuable he can be to our student athletes in Georgia athletics. His background and experience within and around college athletics makes him uni- uh, a uniquely positioned leader in the world of NIL. So that's Kirby Smart on the uh, NIL Collective, and Matt Hibbs in particular, who's a former UGA uh, athletic department staffer now working as the CEO of this collective. And listen, I'm not anti collective and really not even anti NIL necessarily but I think some of you've probably you know noticed over the course of the last few weeks there is still a, like a level of skepticism that I have about some of this kind of stuff and I think in relationship to the classic city collective that um that comes out right now the official support vehicle for Georgia from a NIL standpoint I guess you would describe it as a lack of a better phrase I think there are two questions for me that are that are begged on the basis of this announcement yesterday, he, you know, here's the question number one: like, what problem specifically does this collective solve? And that's not a, meant to be a criticism, uh, you know. To the extent that I I know Drew Butler a little bit, uh, you know, beyond that, I'm learning about some of these other guys. They don't they, they seem to be good guys. This seems to be a you know kind of a you know it's really not a bad thing for UGA. So I'm not anti Classic City Collective. I'm not even really you know necessarily anti NIL. But I am left to ask like what problem does this solve because every business and this is you know to a degree of business every business does one of two things uh every every business success story is about one of one 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 of two things it's about recognizing a problem that we didn't know existed or recognizing a solution to a problem that we didn't know was possible that's kind of the story of american business right there and two sentences you know businesses solve a problem they either recognize a problem we didn't know we had or recognize a solution we didn't know was possible so what problem does the nil collective solve here and they would say so so far is we're going to help the folks who want to provide nil dollars get in contact with the georgia athletes but let me ask this question. I don't, I don't mean this rhetorically. I mean this literally. Like, is that really a problem? Is there this huge pool of NIL money and the folks who want to give it, whether it be big brand advertisers or very rich individual donors, and they're saying, I would be happy to give this money if I could only find a way to get in contact with the players themselves? Like, like that doesn't seem to be, in actuality, a, a real problem. Um, that doesn't seem to be the thing here. What I'm getting to is, once again, I'm not anti-Classic City Collective or really on face value any specific nil collective but i do find this to be very interesting that if you look at the stories that are written including our own story at dognation.com if you look at the stories that get written about nil the source for those stories overwhelmingly are from people who are trying to facilitate nil deals you don't hear very much at all from the people who are supplying the nil dollars once again big brand advertisers in the way of companies or you know, big individual donors who just kind of want to throw their weight around. Like you've heard some of that coming, like say from the University of Miami, an individual guys kind of spoken up here. But for the most part, the source for almost all of the NIL stories that are out there are these kinds of people. These, and once again, I don't mean this negatively. I just it's kind of what it is. These kind of middlemen, right? Who've established a business in this new NIL world. And I think a lot of the things that we have thus far kind of comes from that perspective. In other words. 
We hear a lot on the demand side. Hey, there's a demand for NIL dollars and there are people there's there are services that are existing now to kind of provide some support for that demand. But what are we hearing from the supply side on all of this? The big companies who are going to be throwing this money around. We're just not hearing a ton from them right now. And to me, that's a dog that isn't barking. To me, it's kind of interesting that in a very big way, at least the very biggest companies have not really. I don't know. They're not very vocal in the world of NIL right now, and I'm kind of curious as to, to maybe what that means or or at what point in time that might change. We're basically a year into this almost. Here's the other question I think is worth asking. And for a lot of the folks in our audience, this matters. So like one of the things that this collective presumably is going to do, the Tennessee Collective uh, has said that this is absolutely what they're doing, is they're going to kind of create an opportunity for sort of small-scale individual donors to give some money to the NIL collective. And what that's going to really create is a scenario where in some cases, some folks are going to have to make a choice. Do I give my money? If if I want to support UGA football, let's just keep it to football for a moment. If I want to support UGA football, do I give this money to the NIL collective or do I give this money to the athletic department? And let's talk about like, say McGill society for a moment. A lot of you know what that is. It's kind of a sort of a fancy, you know, a donor class for UGA, but you know, like I know a few McGill donors and like they're not the monopoly man, right? You know, like some people sort of <laughs> they have a picture of like the McGill Society donor as somebody walks around the tuxedo and like a, you know, a, what do we call this? Like a little, little uh, you know, a pocket watch or something like that. You know, that's that's not quite what the average McGill donor is. You know, the average McGill donor, at least the ones that I know, not to say there aren't some very rich people, but the ones that I know are, you know, doing well in life, but they still have to dig pretty deep into their pockets to kind of justify the expense. I think it's, and I may be wrong about this. Some of y'all could tell me better. Is it $25,000 over the course of three years? Is that what it takes to to be uh, a McGill person, 25,000 over the course of three years. It's something along those lines. It may not quite, that may not quite be the parameters, but it's kind of something quite uh, along those lines. For the average person I know, even the ones who are in the McGill society, that ain't cheap. That, you know, that comes, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a butterfly in the stomach when you uh, when you write that check. So the average person I know that if they had that kind of money to give the program would not also have that same amount of money now to give to the NIL collective either. That, that, that there is a little bit of a choice of, well, if I give this money here, I don't have that money to give somewhere else. So for that donor who's given you know a lot to UGA and the the amount they've given kind of comes with a little bit of a consequence, you know, where is that money best spent? You know, at Georgia, if I give that money, I'm giving towards something that's going to exist for more than one year. I'm giving towards a building that could could last for a very long time or I'm you know giving towards, a, you know, you know, some sort of thing that may outlast just this individual year. But on the NIL side of things, once again, I'm not anti NIL necessarily, but this is you know kind of some where some of my skepticism comes is that once I give a bunch of money in one year, that money gets used by the players of that year. And the very next year, there's a whole new group of players who have their handout and you understand why they would, but they have their handout ready for their own payment there as well. It seems like the money given in an NIL sense is a little bit less of a renewable resource than the money given towards the athletic department. I'm not endorsing one over the other. I'm just saying that this is one of the questions that I would you know, kind of have related to this is that for me, there's no doubt the NIL era is here. Kirby Smart himself has said that. But I'm still not quite so sure how all of this is is going to function. And like the one thing that I see is a lot of demand on the part of players to get paid and a lot of companies 
who have stepped up to help try to serve that demand. But ultimately, I'm not quite so sure about the NIL money supply as of yet. Uh, you know, just how incentive incentivized donors are going to be on something like this. And for the very biggest brand advertisers, how incentivized they are on this either. Because those of you who ever raised money for anything before, whether it be politics or your church or anything else, here's one thing you know is that 80% of your money comes from 20% of your givers. That's just the way that it goes. I mean, that's true for anything, anywhere, anytime. 80% of the money is going to come from 20% of the sources. Like, where's that 20% right now? And how on board are they to really kind of give the big dollars, whether as an advertising uh, you know, agreement or just a, you know, look how rich I am, let me flaunt this, like how much of that is there really out there right now? That's the one dog right now that does not seem to be barking. And I have to say, I, I'm still pretty curious about all that. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk to some of the Classic City Collective guys at some point in time, and we'll learn more about this ourselves. But with that, we'll get ready to wrap up the program. And, of course, we'll do so with a couple of golden shoes here. And we always like making fun of the Florida Gators. And a couple of folks here today get a chance to do just that. Let me show you our first golden shoe winner for today. So Jason Hunnewell shares um, – I guess this is from Dan Mullen's Instagram. He's reading a book from Jesse Itzler, Itzler, uh, who's one of the Hawks owners. Am I right about that? Is Jesse one of the Hawks owners? Uh, He says, living with the monks, my turning off my phone taught me about happiness, gratitude, and focus. Actually, sounds like a decent book. Uh, But uh, Honeywell said, Jason Honeywell says, I screenshotted this from Dan Mullen's Instagram, hoping he learned what (laughs) recruiting season is from reading this. Just trying to get a golden shoe and keep the Dan Mullen mockery alive. Go dogs. Jason, those are always good causes. Seeking out golden shoes and keeping Dan Mullen mockery alive so we will graciously give you a golden shoe for that today jason thank you so much for that also our buddy dogs on tap kind of the same thing showing this tweet from pick six previews but let you know that florida of course the last 20 years they're actually what uh you know well outside the top 10 in terms of overall winning percentage he says i thought florida was on another level than uga kind of mockingly laughingly so good job by georgia on tap will make you a golden shoe winner there as well and by the way while we're making fun of the lousy stinking gators let's keep it going here for a minute Four thousand eight hundred two days long time since that poverty program has won a national championship and guess what they're going to be toting another l for the georgia bulldogs come this october how about 240 days from right now dogs back in jacksville getting that win against those lousy stinking gators we will see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by merriweather and tharp look forward to talking to you then and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cooldown we'll take a couple of your comments here um I want to read this one on Twitter from uh, Chadwick, who's a smooth CMI on Twitter, who says, I'm going to really miss George Pickens in a UGA uniform too, BA. I talked about that yesterday. He says, it would have been great to hear from him more while he was at Georgia. His press conference that we had a chance to hear from on uh, Wednesday was really outstanding. Makes you do wish you heard more from him. Uh, he says uh, he was a highlight waiting to happen, and he's going to set the NFL on fire too. Yeah, listen, we're, we're cheering for him. We're happy for him and are really rooting for him to uh, get a chance to to do that. Um, a couple people online at uh, dognation.com also weighing in on the Matt Hayes quote from yesterday about Tennessee. And like, why would you you know highlight that? Like, maybe I'm a little bit different than some of you, but I do care what other people say about UGA opponents. And it doesn't have to be true or not, but – you know, to me, that's always been part of what the offseason has been. This thing of, as it appears right now, we've said before, 
Georgia would appear to be a point spread favorite in every game that it plays in the regular season in 2022. And I've gone so far as to say that maybe Georgia could be a double digit favorite in each of those games. So one of the questions that has been asked is, well, if Georgia does get some threat somewhere, where could it come from? And this is at least one example of one guy pointing out a maybe a possibly unlikely source where that threat could come from. It doesn't have to be true to be interesting right now. And it was interesting to me, and that's why we kind of addressed that. Uh, Lee Bonner says the golden shoe is so 2019. Why not retire it? Let's move on to something more current. Well, <laughs> the, the the shoe throwing incident didn't happen until the end of the 2020 season, so it's not quite 2019. But also part of this is sometimes we just like to keep it light. That That's like one of the things that's really, really important to me, that uh, we just kind of keep certain things light and Hopefully I don't take myself too seriously and hopefully we don't take any of the content around here all that, you know, too seriously that clearly Georgia football is a fun thing and a very important thing to many of us. But hopefully that importance doesn't become one of those things where we can't just every now and then just sort of stop and have kind of a lighthearted, you know, way to spend 45 seconds at the end of the show. And that's kind of what that is. It's just kind of an excuse to finish the show in kind of a fun way and you know, most days the golden shoe is just whatever people have sent to me, just kind of a fun way to do all of that. So, so that's kind of the reason why we do that. You know, some things are done just for the fun of it. And that's kind of one of those things. In fact, the RS Andrews podcast cool down is kind of that in many ways. It's just one of those things we just sort of do for the fun of it because, uh, it's just kind of nice to, to be a little lighthearted every now and then your comments or the, the stuff that you send in on social media or whatever else. So I certainly appreciate all of that. Thank you for being here for it. Find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com. It's about time to start thinking about getting those air conditioning systems tuned back up for the springtime that's coming today around the state of Georgia. It feels pretty spring-like most places, so that's a reminder to you that A.C.s will be on before you know it. So make sure you check them out online at rsandrews.com for all of that. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to speaking to you then.